Welcome to the PNN Podcast with your host, Kerry Wood. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. It is Groundhog Day, February 2nd, 2021. Uh, I bounce around all over the place. I apologize. I know there's a slight humming in the background. Hopefully it won't be too distracting. I hope to have a, a regular home here shortly. I was up late last night working on possible designs for my new home. I'm looking to build a three-story home with an ocean view. I know that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I found a wonderful neighborhood and I am partially, just partially excited about making it happen. I'm telling you this because a few years ago, I wanted to buy a condo at the beach. The beach is my happy place. You know, some people like mountains, some people like lakes. I'm sure there are some people like cornfields, but my place is the beach. It always has been. I can just, I breathe better when I'm there. I'm happier when I'm there. I just, I feel good there. That's where I belong. And a few years ago, I wanted a small condo at the beach. I didn't want to have to take care of a house. I just wanted to be there. Okay. And, but I had someone in my life who begged me, literally begged me not to go. So I stayed right where I was for her. I'm telling you this because life doesn't do anything but get shorter. Don't put off your dreams or you may never achieve them or you may get too old to enjoy them. You know, so here we are a few years later. Now I'm finally going. Now I'm finally going, but looking to build a three-story house instead of just selling for a condo. And as nice as that might sound, it it's it's not exactly. And by the time I finish this show, you're going to understand why. Okay, would you knowingly, willingly play a rigged game? A rigged game. For example, would you walk into a casino and bet money on a card game knowing you cannot cheat, but the dealer can deal from the bottom of the deck whenever it suits him. Of course not. You wouldn't bet money on something like that. Would, would you even have a desire to sit down to a friendly game of Monopoly? Okay, you're not even playing with real money. But in playing this game, you know you are bound by the rules, but your opponents can and will cheat right in front of you you can do nothing about it. You wouldn't want to do that either, would you? There are some people in this world who lie and cheat their way through life at the expense of the rest of us. Most of us don't like that. Most of us have no desire to tolerate that sort of behavior. Usually, if we encounter someone like that, most of us walk away. A few of us actually have the stomach or backbone to expose the liars and cheaters. Because when we do, well, and, and this is the thing, this is, this is what happens when you expose them. The finger gets pointed, right? It gets pointed right at you. Like we're the bad guys. Even though the reality is we're the victims, but because we are pointing out the person doing the bad things, they tend to turn it around. The people who do lie and cheat their way through life, most of them do it without it even affecting their conscience, or so it seems. But this doesn't mean they don't actually live in fear themselves, fear of being exposed. That's why they point the fingers back at us and try to make us out to be the bad guys, right? They go to that, they almost always go to that same tool in their toolbox, 
I'm really practically every time, thinking if they can discredit us, then no one will listen when they point out when we point out how evil they really are. You see, they need victims to get by in life. Lying and cheating are all that they know. And they can't have us little people exposing them and depriving them of their victims. Evil people like this will never do the right thing. So we have to operate on two fronts. Exposing evil people for who and what they are and protecting ourselves. Most of us want to think, most of us want to really, we believe that America is a great country blessed by God, right? How great can a country be and how blessed by God can a country be which, as a country, has murdered more than 60 million innocent babies? Donald Trump wanted to make America great again and one of the first things he did was to cut off the government funding to murdering babies. Now, I'm not getting into the whole abortion thing here. I'm just giving you some reasons why there are some basic fundamentals here that uh, about our country that we're, we're really just missing the boat on to get back to where we need to be. And that's just one of them. Another is, you know, Trump began securing the borders. He began bringing jobs back to this country. He began making us energy independent. All these things are very important. But the game is rigged. What President Trump exposed was all the politicians who don't play by the rules. They don't follow the Constitution or many other laws, all while continuing to restrict our freedoms. The Biden administration immediately opened up government funds for killing babies again. And you're going to hear me say this several times. I'm sorry. It's just, it's wrong. And, and, and then the Biden administration began killing jobs as well. Their actions with the Keystone Pipeline both undermines our ability to be energy independent as well as creates a national security risk. The left are even talking about dismantling the wall at the border. The other day I saw someone on Facebook, they had this post up, said, Heaven is surrounded by a wall with gates you have to pass through, but hell has open borders. You know, that's both clever and truthful. We have no shortage of people willing to dismantle and steal away our freedom and our lives. We must work on one front to expose them and their evil ways. But Carrie, aren't you a Christian? And Christians aren't supposed to judge people. I'm actually glad you brought that up, Karen. Usually I just wish you'd shut your mouth, to be honest. I don't, I, I, that's kind of mean, isn't it? I'm sorry. Um, you know, but I am. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of those popular narratives from the left that is completely wrong and just designed to shut down their opposition, us. Last night I met with a preacher and a constitutional scholar. Our hope in that meeting was to design some, some sermons to get folks back on the right path when it comes to God and country. One of our biggest hurdles is that people believe false teachings such as, we're not supposed to judge. Those we aren't supposed to judge are actually the non-believers, those who do not know Christ. It's not our job to judge them. It is as our job to introduce those people to Christ. Okay? Not to judge them. For those who claim to be Christians, we are called to judge them as we are called to hold one another accountable for our behaviors. I'll tell you a couple of quick stories to illustrate 
a couple points, okay, on this. There was there was a lady I once knew who I really thought a lot of, and her and her, her and her children. She was a bit younger than me, about 14 years, but that didn't seem to bother either of us. And even though I was seeing her exclusively, she kept pushing for more, 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 more. She kept pushing for marriage. She was very beautiful. And I thought we looked good together, mostly because she made me look good. And her children were beautiful, and her children loved me, and everybody everywhere went. Said, you know, they assumed we were a family and always told us what beautiful family were, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I kept being the one that insisted on taking things slow because I've been burned, okay? I learned that I've been burned and I need to get to the, to the bottom of things. And after two years, I'd completely warmed up to the idea of marriage when I caught her in a rather serious lie. The lie, the lie itself isn't important, just the fact that I caught her in a lie. And I can tell you, I can't stand a lie. I've, I've been accused most of my life of being too honest, and I probably am on a lot of fronts. But I've told some lies before. Um, you know, really, what it, in my case, it's always been an effort to avoid unnecessarily hurting someone. And, and, and the thing is, where most people have accused me of being too honest is because I typically just say whatever it is and go ahead and hurt people. But I've been beat up so bad my entire life. You just, you just don't need to say that. You just need to keep that to yourself. That now I have, I've kind of learned to internalize some things and just not let them out, and not to hurt people. You know, there's, it's kind of, there, there is a balance there to be found, and it can be a difficult one sometimes. So when she did this, I didn't have a knee-jerk reaction and, and say, oh, this is over or, or anything like that. But I did let her know that the lie made me angry. You know, as after that, I began to notice, but it didn't really click with me, th that she was frequently challenging things that I said. And I often had to provide proof of things that I told her. And, and this really irritated me and it upset me. And it, really, it made me angry a couple of times and I didn't even understand why. I mean... She basically called my credibility into question, and I, I never lied to her at all. Then I caught her in another serious lie. And when I confronted her, she attempted to lie more to cover it up. When I gave her details, some very specific details I knew about the situation she was lying about, her primary concern then became how I knew. That's when it hit me, where I had been playing the defense and trying to prove the truth I was actually speaking, the real problem was that she was a liar. And because she was such a liar, she naturally expected that behavior out of others. Even though I had never lied to her, her constant challenges were actually revealing who she was to me. And I, I just didn't see it. I think we often find ourselves on our heels playing defense or if we would just stop and take a serious look, we would see who people really are. Because this is what the left does to us. They accuse us of their same bad behaviors. And we're so busy trying to prove that we're good and right, that we're not doing what we should be and calling them out and exposing them on their behavior. Okay, another quick little story. Let's take a hypothetical person, okay? We'll call her Kathleen Hamilton. Very American-sounding name, right? But Kathleen creates a new Facebook page. And you all know how I feel about Facebook. Like the last show, I told you it's an illusion that you have any privacy control. 
and think that you can hide any data because Facebook turns around and sells your information. So someone can just buy it if they like. Anyway, back, back to our all-American Kathleen Hamilton, who creates a new Facebook page and changes her first name to Kate, which to me sounds like a, a Midwestern name, you know? You know, who doesn't like a good Kate, right? Am I right? Kate, Kate. It's a nice-sounding name. All right, anyway, the new Kate also changes her last name to Hamil, which is a very Middle Eastern-sounding name to me. So... She's just created a Midwestern, Mideastern new persona. I, I guess we'll just review, revere her as, as an Arab-American Arab or something, right? Okay, Kate Hamil, Arab-American. Then Kate doesn't put up a profile picture of herself. Instead, she puts up a photo of a coffee mug which says, Jesus, take the wheel. I, I know, I know. All of this seems so outlandish that you can't believe that anyone would actually behave this way. But trust me, they do. Trust me, there is someone exactly like Kate out there right now. She's probably even listening. And if she's not, her ears are probably burning. So why does someone like Kate do such a thing? In this case, it's so she can stalk someone online falsely believing her behavior is anonymous. But IRL, and IRL is the kid lingo for these days for in real life. In real life, IRL, our new, our Arab American Christian Kate, who is actually Kathleen Hamilton, who also likes to be seen in church on occasion and enjoys telling people about the church experiences. Kate has clearly demonstrated she is pathological. And so we can extrapolate her behavior. Now we're learning from the first story on this a little bit too. If you stop and you look at how someone's behaving, you can easily predict behavior. So, so Kate has taken the time, this mythical, this hypothetical Kate has taken the time to refriend her family and in real life friends with her new fake profile. Are you following me? Kate's, Kate's going a long way here. Now, why would Kate do such a thing? And what on earth was the explanation that she gave to her friends and IRL, her family and IRL friends, rather? What, what in the world was the explanation she gave to them? Hey, hey, this is me. This, this Kate chick, that's really me. I need you to refriend me so we can follow each other on Facebook again. You know, okay. Okay, why would she do such a thing and what was the explanation? It's the same answer to both questions. Kate feels empowered when she gets to portray herself as a victim. Kate created the fake Facebook page to stalk someone, but then, no doubt, told her family and friends she had to create the page because she was being stalked. You see, that's what pathological people do. But the real error of cats, I mean, I mean, of Kate's ways is the in real life and her new fake persona. She is not only proving herself to be a pathological liar, she is hiding behind Christ to do so. You see the big downfall here? Now, here's my, my overarching point where this affects the rest of us. Um, people like Arab-American Christian Kate are out there. Trust me, they exist. I know they do. I know them. 
and they are busy each and every day punching their ticket to hell. Don't get me wrong, I have no desire whatsoever for Kate to end up in hell. I want nothing more than for Kate to redeem herself. But the fact that she has set herself up as an example of a Christian, the danger then becomes that she drags others to hell with her. As she is such a poor example for family, friends, and her own children that her example condemns others. This is why we have to judge people like Kate. Now, the better thing to do, the right thing to do, would be to call out Kate privately first. Tell her what she's done is wrong and give her an opportunity to redeem herself. I typically give someone at least three chances. And I'm, and I'm guilty of giving someone way too many chances. Then, if possible, and Kate doesn't change, she doesn't turn from her pathological ways where she's clearly telling one lie after an, another and manipulating reality for people. And, and also, I mean, just there's a lot of things I could say about Kate. Okay, so, if, if, so then if, if you give Kate chances and she doesn't take them, then if possible, you take Kate's behavior into the church. Okay, and you try to resolve it there. I think it is a last resort to publicly call someone out. But sometimes people leave you no choice. Have you ever been a victim? When it's over, what is the very first thing you wish for? It's that someone would have warned you about who you were getting involved with, right? Am I right? You wish that... I mean, maybe you wish you'd never met that person, but the biggest thing you really wish for is just anybody, somebody had just told me what that person really was. If you don't expose bad behavior, then how are you not partially responsible for the victims to follow? We have Biden touting that he's Catholic. Then one of the first things he does in office with a stroke of a pen is open up federal funds for killing of babies. I can't call Biden out privately. I can't get him into a church for a discussion on the matter. I have no option left but to call out this behavior publicly, which I've done quite a few times already in the past week or so. The left is doing nothing but creating more and more victims. We have to call them out on every front if we're to have any hope of stopping the carnage. Okay, but it was, okay, all that said on, on calling out behavior and being vigilant in that and exposing bad people so we can start exposing the left and other people that do harm in our lives, that was just one portion. The, the other, there was the other front I really wanted to focus on today, the, the one which I am afraid we are in imminent danger of doing the most damage to the rest of us, and that's the economic front. As of today, our national debt is $27,863,395,000,000 and change. That is approximately $85,000 per man, woman, and child in this country. Or, if you just want to go to the taxpayers, it's about $223,000 per taxpayer in this country. That's how much in debt we are. 
we have as a country put our children and great-grandchildren in debt. Borrowing on the futures of our children is an evil thing to do, people. If our kids don't get slaughtered in the womb, womb they can then spend their lives working to pay off debt that was accumulated before they even existed. How, how is there anything right with that picture? You know, under Obama, Obama accumulated more debt for this country than all other previous presidents combined. Going back to George Washington, you could take every president, combine the debt that was accumulated under them, and Obama accumulated more than all of them combined. And I've heard many fault President Trump for not doing anything about the debt. My stance on that is that he was. If you borrow money to start a business, do you not have to work that business into a profit in order to pay back the debt? Of course. We watched our debt grow out of the 70s into about $6 trillion, if I remember correctly, in the 80s under Reagan. Reagan focused on building the economy. We hit an economic boom, and a few years later, under Clinton, the government's taken in records amount of money in taxes, and the debt was wiped out. I believe if President Trump had another four years at the, I mean, at the rate we were seeing our economy come back and how, I mean, and it wasn't just a, it, it had substance to it. You know, we opened up our steel mills again, producing energy here again. I mean, it, it was an economy that had some very serious substance. If he had had another four years, I think we'd seen that debt start taking a dive. But now I'm afraid uh, Biden is just a continuation of what we had before, Obama's third term, if you will. And um, guess what? They're just going to continue to drive our country into further debt, as well as dismantle the economic engine built by Trump. My anxiety greatly increased during the Obama years as the debt grew. Going, going back to the numbers, where we are now, our national debt is nearly 28 trillion, okay? And our GDP, our gross domestic product, okay, that's how much we create every year in this country, is 21 trillion. Okay, during Obama, we crossed that 90% mark of GDP to debt ratio. And this is important. No country that's ever crossed that mark has avoided, avoided a total economic collapse. 90%? You can't cross that mark without very bad things happening. As of today, we're beyond the 90% still. We're actually at 146%. So, why has it happened yet? That's easy, because we're too big to fail. I am stunned by that remark, Karen. I am just stunned. It is like seeing the fattest cat on the planet hanging off a cliff by its claws, and you just shrugging your shoulders and saying, yeah, every other cat's falling off that cliff, but our cat's too big to fall. Seriously? Maybe you forgot about the Great Depression nearly a century ago, but how can you forget about the Great Recession we just came out of a few years ago? This country's not immune from, from economic instabilities. We're, we're not. Look, I could do an entire show on economics. I've always been very fascinated by it. But let's just go through the basics. The debt is not sustainable. 
piling on it in a bad way is the forgiveness of student loans, the killing of the Keystone Pipeline, and the raising of the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Have, have you noticed, Have you, really, have you noticed the inflation taking place over the last 10 years? How every time you go to the grocery store, that packaging has either gotten smaller, meaning you're paying the same price for less, or the price just went up again, or both in some scenarios. I mean, you know, I remember when sugar used to be five pounds in a, in a bag, and now it's four pounds in a bag, and you're paying more for it kind of thing. And, you know, that's what I mean. It just, we keep getting less and less for our money. And increasing the minimum wage, if, if that happens, it's going to do two things, I believe, rapidly. It's going to immediately start putting people out of work. And it will also trigger, I think, moderate to hyperinflation, meaning prices will be going up even faster on stuff you buy every day. China is pushing to replace the U.S. dollar with the yen as the world currency for oil. I can't tell you how screwed we are when that happens. But think Venezuela, because that's where we're heading. At some point, you will probably see negative interest rates. And that might sound good, but it's not. Japan went there decades ago after following that booming 80s economy they had. But where they overextended themselves, they still haven't gotten back to where they were. It's, without getting into it, just know that negative interest rates will reward debtors and will not really help the economy. You know, if you got debt, don't worry about paying the debt off right now as much as worry about stabilizing other parts of your life to survive an economic collapse would be my suggestion. What can we do? For starters, I'm learning how to garden. I've already purchased a lot of seeds, but to show you how clueless I am or was, I'm getting to be a little less clueless, I just kind of learned that people start planting indoors several weeks prior to planting outdoors. So yeah, I'm attempting that right now. I got my cups with potting soil, starting my seeds for tomato plants and squash and zucchini and really about two dozen different things. And and I'm I'm learning right now. So I hopefully I'll be better at it next year. Hopefully we have until next year. My my goal is to create a two-year food supply for everyone I'm responsible for. Currently that would be just me. But I'm expecting that to change shortly. There's nothing wrong with buying freeze-dried foods that last for 20 years. You can do that. I'm currently looking to do some of that as well as the growing and canning and pickling and all that myself. You know, one thing you can do is go to MeWe and join the Carolina Prepper U group. That's Carolina Prepper U. U is in the letter U, University U. Carolina Prepper U. It's on MeWe. And while you're on MeWe, like the Premium News Network page, okay? You do that too. There's a twofer. Okay. In a, in a, you, you can learn how, to, I mean, they Carolina Prepper U is covering a lot of things on how to just be prepared for a variety of situations. Okay. In an economic collapse, people starve. It's, it's what happens. So I would plan for food and shelter before anything else. Currency can also become quickly become worthless. It's not a bad idea to own some things that will have some value. Some things to consider. Bullets, precious metals, alcohol, coffee, 
chocolate, salt, or anything else that might become scarce that people will not want to do without. I'm designing my new home to be as energy efficient as possible. And I'll include a fireplace with blowers in case I need some heat at some point. I'm building in a rainwater collection and a few other things that I'm building into the house. Another reason I want to be at the ocean is so I can fish. Now, for the reason that I started out all this, that I'm building a larger home when I'd rather just be in a condo, I am certain that I'm going to have to take care of others. Having a compound of family and or friends, that'll just make any apocalypse more bearable. Am I right? Who doesn't want your family and friends around an apocalypse? And I believe it, it becomes easier for a group of like-minded to pull resources and survive together. Carrie, I think you're scaring people. Maybe. And maybe people need to be scared. I don't yet see how a total economic collapse is avoidable. I hope it is. But I would rather be prepared and rather everybody listening be prepared and not need than to need and not be prepared. You know, and when is this going to happen? I don't know. It could happen next week. It could happen next month. It could happen next year. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen an hour from now. I mean, if they ever flip the switch on the U.S. dollar being the world currency for oil, we, we are rapidly screwed. Um, it's, it's, it's about too late once that happens. So you need to go ahead and prepare just in case that happens. Because if it does happen, quite literally, millions of people will, will die of starvation. Single parents with kids will probably be the most vulnerable. Elderly people will be vulnerable. That's why it's important to go ahead and build your survival group now. Know who's going to have your back and whose back you're going to have. Most people can't even imagine what's coming because they've never paid attention to Venezuela or any other country where this sort of thing has happened. They can't even comprehend the storm heading our way. Hope and pray it doesn't actually happen. But hope and prayer aren't strategies. Get your strategy in place now. There is nothing to fear if you are properly prepared. And we'll leave you on that positive note. Say goodbye, Karen. Goodbye, Karen. We'll see y'all next week.